Amen. Oh boy, this is, uh, this is wonderful to get a chance to, to be before you all again. It was almost a year ago uh, that I had a chance to actually be here too, so I don't know, maybe I kind of stunk it up the last time. Pastor Brent's like, yeah, we're going to give you a little bit of time to get that right, Frank, so <laughs> I'm just joking, uh, or maybe not, so <laughs> I don't know. But here I am, uh, and very delighted to be able to give us, uh, to be able to help out with the second half of of our sermon uh, series on after Easter. You know, last week I was very challenged by what I heard by Pastor Brent say and how he talked about how that we have these experiences sometimes and then they just mushroom up in us and then they dissipate over time. And I can recall so many times about the anticipation in our own home growing up of getting ready for Easter, you know, and going out and getting the cool Easter clothes. And I'm glad that I don't have any of those pictures on Facebook right now. So, you know what? I almost tripped over this earlier today too. So whoever's praying for me, continue to pray for me because I almost lost it today. And it almost happened again. All right. Um, But just thinking about how that there's this big buildup and we we become so moved by hearing people shout Hosanna on Sunday and dropping the palm leaves and then Christ going to the cross on a Friday and then rising again on a Sunday. And we get so moved by that. And we think about his great example for us and how he rolls for us. And oftentimes I think about that if everybody else in this room had never did anything wrong and you lived a perfect life, that Jesus Christ still would have came for me. But then it seems like the Sunday after that, though, that kind of I get back into my own life and things kind of dissipate and we have that great experience and then we kind of move on from it. So I was really challenged by the whole notion of digging in and those points that pastor has shared with us. And so I just wanted to be able to share those with you just very quickly, the, the three main points of his sermon last week. And then I want to also touch on a challenge that I believe was a Holy Spirit inspired challenge that he presented to us at the end of the sermon. So, you know, when his pastor was talking about that tension between desire, uh, between experience and devotion, and he talked about how that in his first point that experience produces desire, but devotion produces results. That experience may generate a desire in us, but maybe over time that dissipates. But when we engage in spiritual habits and disciplines, we come to a place where that begins to produce results and bear fruit if we just stick with it. And then he talked about how an experience may spark curiosity, but devotion develops intimacy. And in, in, in curiosity, we may draw people together. I mean, we may want to know more about it, but, but devotion, that time where we invest, uh, share space and time with one another produces intimacy because we begin to learn more about one another and we share more with one another. And we come to a place where we begin to trust one another and we grow into what we would call a fellowship. And that's something beyond a relationship. And then the third point that pastor had mentioned to us and the final point that he gave us that devotion over time grows into a passion. And when something builds and builds and builds with that kind of energy, it seeks to be released and channeled and directed prayerfully in constructive ways. And so what we would like to do, what I'd like to do for us today is to take a look at how Pastor was challenging us, us to dig in. And we're going to dig into those focal verses that he gave us, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And I'm going to walk those out with us. But before I get to that, I'm going to tell you that I was really moved by what he said at the end. And I, and I went back and I listened to the sermon online and I wrote it down verbatim. The last thing he shared was this. I don't know why you City Family Church cannot be the epicenter for a globe sweeping movement that's just like it happened in the early church. I don't know why St. Louis can't be the place that explodes with the gospel out of which the gospel spreads all around the world and invites people into love and mercy and grace and breaks down barriers, language barriers and race barriers and cultural barriers, and all the obstacles that we have with each other. Why can't we do that? 
But then at the end, he said, we can do that. We can, and it's just a matter of digging in. And so in this sermon series of ours that we have, after Easter, Pastor Brent talked about digging in. But if you would allow me to, I'd like to take us a little further and talk about how can we walk this out. Raise your hands if you kind of went into the, the scriptures last week and, and you did a little digging in. A few people? Oh, amen. Amen. All right. The rest of you, no cookie for you. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, there's plenty of cookies, but <laughs> do we have cookies? No? Okay. All right. I don't want to care. I'm going to get Carol in trouble. Okay. All right. But what we want to do today is walk through these passages of scripture. And if you allow me to, what I like to do is to, is to read them in full. And then uh, Don's going to bring them up for us one by one. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Good on you, Don. Thank you so much. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, there's a whole host of things that happen before we get to those focal point pa- uh, passages. You know, um, as we recall last week, you know, Pastor Brent gave us a great short summary of Acts chapters 1 and 2. You know, when Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and he walked amongst his disciples for about 40 days and he continued on with his teachings. And before he ascended into heaven, he told them to go into Jerusalem about 10 days later and and stay there. And the Holy Spirit will come and God will send his holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit to be with you. And so they obeyed him. And so and they went down on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, of course, as we recognize in Scripture, that he came in, you know, as a rushing mighty wind, and he sat on each of those individuals, and they were speaking in tongues, and it's like they had a flame of fire above their heads. But this is a time where we recognize that in this New Testament experience, in the, in the birth of the church, we recognize that for the first time, the Holy Spirit was coming to live in people. In the Old Testament, he came upon them specific times to do heroic and, and mighty and miraculous things. But now Jesus Christ said that he was going to send a comforter for us who will be a guide and a keeper for us, and also a teacher. And so instead of somebody right alongside of us, he sent the Holy Spirit back, God did, to take up residence in us. And so we see then that the first thing that happened is that now these men, these plain old guys, these followers of Jesus Christ, these basic fellows, not very well educated, these men of Galilee, they were now speaking in tongues. And, and, and they were speaking in the languages of the other Jewish people who came down for the feast. They were all over the known world, and they said that we hear these guys speaking in our language. How is this so? And so Peter seized upon this opportunity, full of the Holy Spirit, gave the first gospel message, and at the end of his, right near the end of his sermon, the men cried out, what, what, what must we do? And then Peter said, repent. He said, repent. Told them to accept Christ and to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Out of that experience, we see that the Holy Spirit living in these folks gives context to everything that we're going to discuss. Everything that we're about to discuss, this great explosion of the gospel and the sharing and the spreading was fueled by the Holy Spirit. You know, in studying the book of Acts, I read the subtitle of it and it said the Acts of the Apostles. And actually, I kind of think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit 
because everything that was done in the book of Acts was done by the prompting and the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when we dig in further now, what I hope that you will do is take this journey with me and personally think, how can you walk these passages of Scripture out? Okay, so let's dive into the first verse. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So we recognize that now with this explosion of the Holy Spirit, now he's living in folks. They're doing things and living in community as never before. The thing that they started out with was listening. They they devoted themselves to the uh, apostles teaching. So when we think about that back then, they picked up where Jesus left off. Jesus was teaching them in all of the four gospels. We find that Jesus is helping them to understand what the kingdom is all about. Why is he here and what's his purpose? And so the apostles now were picking that up and they were trying to make sense of all of this. And actually they were walking out what would come to be the New Testament for us. They were trying to make sense of all of those things that happened in the Old Testament. Now here's Christ, the fulfillment of all of that. So what does that mean for us today? And so you know what they were doing back then? It was Bible study. When they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, it was just Bible study. But they were, they were studying something that we would later come to know as the Bible, and they were also walking it out. And what they made sense of and the Holy Spirit inspired them to write down is what we're reading today. And so for the first thing that happened for them was that they dove into the word. You know, there's a There's a wonderful thing that happens for us when we engage in Bible study, not just privately, but when we get together with other people, there's this sharpening that happens. There's this connection that happens. There's this deepening of an understanding of who God is that happens, that we recognize him as not just this far off cosmic being, but someone who is near to us, who a portion of him lives and deeply inside of us. You know, my understanding of Bible, of God really came out of focused Bible study with a group of men who became mentors in my life, you know. And there was Dr. Derek Horton, Dr. Um, excuse me, Dr. Derek Rollins, Dr. Delane Myers, and, and Dr. Hayward Horton. They were both professors at a university, and they also attended the church my wife and I attended when we were up at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. And they befriended me, and those guys took me in. You know, when I grew up in my home, I didn't have the greatest example, you know, of what a father to be. But later on in life, my father did come to Christ and he became a wonderful example of what a father to be. But until that time, though, I was searching for examples and I had just got married and they knew that if they spun me around three times in the woods, I couldn't find my way home back to my wife and know anything about being a husband. <laughs> they saw that and they brought me in and they began to share the word with me. And that's where I began to walk it out. I began to ask questions about what we talked about and what we read. And they walked me through the book of Romans and helped me understand what it means to be a son and that I was adopted and that God has a purpose for my life and that he already knows that I'm going to screw up. And sometimes I do screw up royally. But also, too, what I did in our relationship and in our fellowship, I began to hear them and how they came to where they are. And I saw these guys as scientists and owners of patents and and these guys have won awards for their teaching and mentoring. And I'm thinking, surely God just plucked you off of some planet and dropped you down here because you're not like me. And what I learned is that, yeah, we're a lot like each other. I'm just like them. They had to start someplace, too. And they began to share. And as you go further into the scripture in, in verse 42, you see that they devote themselves to apostle teaching and to fellowship. They began to walk with each other in ways that they hadn't done before. There was Holy Spirit inspired and there was a knitting together of their spirits. And they began to be more in tune with one another. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the same that's in you, is the same as in me. And so, yeah, he's going to be consistent. But they began to fellowship with one another. And I believe that fellowship is a lot deeper than relationship. 
So, and I'll give you a quick example. You know, my wife and I have been married for almost 26 years. Back up in Story County, Iowa, um, in the county courthouse there in the clerk's office, there's a document that proves that we have a bona fide relationship. It's called a marriage certificate. Okay? But I can be in one part of our apartment and she can be in another. I can be in a man cave doing whatever and she can, you know, she can be out shopping and doing whatever. And we may not have fellowship that way. Now, we've got a document that says legally, yeah, we're married and we have a relationship, you know, kind of good for taxes. But beyond that, though, where is the knowing and being known in the knitting of our spirits together, that intimacy, that trust? And and over time, our fellowship has grown because we have shared so much together. And my daughter, sometimes when she hears us speak and my wife will say something and then I'll finish it or we will say it at the same time, she'll go, that's scary. (laughs) Because they know, honey, that's fellowship. (laughs) And then further on in this progression, we see, too, that they also were given to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread was not just sharing a meal together with one another. They were also taking communion together. Now, for us, our habit is on Sunday morning that we would take communion, right? At the end of service, we would do that. But Jesus said, as often as you do this, think of me. So I remember what's flashing in my head right now is Anita Bryant. And some people know who Anita Bryant is, right? You know, she had this commercial. She said, orange juice, it isn't just for breakfast anymore, right? You can have it anytime. Well, communion is not just for Sunday. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. And so they broke bread together. When they broke that wafer, they recall a recent memory of Jesus Christ being flogged and beaten. When they drank the wine and when they drank the juice, they recognized that he said that this is his blood that seals this New Testament, this new agreement that we're under with God. And Paul fleshed it out and said, this is better than what we had before. And they recognized that recent sacrifice that he made. But they also came together in, in studying the word together, in fellowship. But they also recognized, too, that, you know what? This is not about us. And what we're studying today and what we're unpacking today is this fellowship and this explosion of the Holy Spirit. It happened at a time when there's intense persecution and harm happening to these New Testament believers. So underneath all of the oppression that was going on in their society, in their community, from Jews that who they had parted from and following Christ, and also from, you know, from, from Rome itself too as well, they had this intense fellowship going on that knit them together and gave them the strength. And there was gladness and happiness that went on with them too as well. And for them, in the breaking of bread, in the taking of the community, they recognized that, you know what, this is not about us. This is about the Christ in us. I can recall times where when I came to that truth and, and I understood that it wasn't, you know, that communion wasn't just about on Sunday morning. You know, I went out and I bought a box of communion cups. Man, I had them at the house. <laughs> you never know when some trouble is going to break out. <laughs> and I remember having a person that I was working for and he was quite a challenge and, and it was really causing me a lot of stress in my life. And, 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 I, and I started to bring these communion cups with me. And then I just knew that and then the Holy Spirit would let me know that, you know what? No, things are going to boil over today. And I would go back to my office before I had to encounter this person. And, and, I would, and I would open up the cup and I would take that wafer and I would crack it. And I remember I said, Jesus, your body was broken for me. And then when I would sip the juice, I said, and your blood was shed for me. So it's not about me. And what I didn't share with the other, with the first service I'll share with you today, and preferably it'll be on video, they can see this, is that here's what happened to me. After that, I began to pray for him. And then when we had these explosive encounters, I wasn't mad and angry and upset. I didn't take it personal. 
Because in the moment, it was about Jesus Christ. And Lord, what did you want me to see differently? And you know what I saw? I saw somebody who was no different than I was, who needed a savior just like I needed a savior, and who needed prayer just like I need prayer. And so he didn't become this hostile person, this, this person with horns, you know, that I need to fear. He became the object of my prayers for the next couple of months. That's how they got through. They prayed for their oppressors. They remembered that, you know what? Jesus said that the student is not greater than the master, meaning that what he got, I'm going to get. And it was brought into context, but Jesus Christ also did not enter into his ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so that had to be discussed. Well, how did he do it? He had help down on the inside. God had God inside of him to do godly things. And so the apostles were not able to go and be apostles until the Holy Spirit came. They weren't able to speak in a different language unbeknownst to them until the Holy Spirit came. So how are we going to be able to endure the impression, the oppression that is here and is to come for us? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by reading the word of God, by coming together in fellowship, by taking communion. And the last thing they did, and Claude mentioned it today, they prayed. They prayed together. This is a wonderful picture of the first century church. But you know what this is also a picture of today? Small groups. That's why Pastor was encouraging us to get into, dig into small groups. Because in the small group that I had when we were walking through the book of Romans, we did all those things except take communion. If I had to do all over again, guys, I'd have had the cups. <laughs> We'd have done it. But we helped to propel each other forward. We listened to one another. We grew together. We shared our faults, our sins with one another. And we did it in a non-judgmental way. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you also have the love of God living in you. God's unconditional love don't kick you off the island, will not toss you off the car for eating crackers in it. That kind of love that will look at you where you are and love you there anyway. God is not moved by us in the sinful condition that we're in. He's not moved by it. He's not shook by anything that we've done that we think we've hidden from him because he's everywhere. And he continues to reach after us. He is relentlessly pursuing after us. I'll share this with you that I didn't share earlier today, but if you take a look in in Psalm 23, in around the sixth verse, it said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word follow me means to relentlessly pursue me and chase me down. And that's what God is doing. But he wants to do that through us. We are here after we've been saved. He didn't just carry us off. He left us here to be his representatives on this earth to share that unconditional love because people are dying for authentic relationships. They want to connect with somebody that's going to love them as they are, but we love it that Jesus Christ doesn't leave us the way he found us. And don't you know that the more that you walk away from where you were, excuse me, when you walk towards God, you're walking away from what you were and you're becoming more like Christ. Every step that you take, sometimes on feeble, weak knees and sometimes stumbling and falling forward, sometimes falling backwards. But the word is there. The fellowship is there to lift us up and to propel us forward. And people want to be accepted like that. There's always this tribe against my tribe, red states against blue states. You know, the Jets against whoever. (laughs) I mean, this is all tribalism right now. And if you don't think the way I do, then you can't be with us. And I'm mad at you because you sin differently than me. (laughs) Really? 
But the world is looking for authentic fellowship and authentic relationship. And it's found in this passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Bible study, fellowship, there's something beyond relationship, the breaking of bread, taking communion, and remembering what Christ did, and making it about him, and then also prayer. It brings us to verse, excuse me, I had a point to make here. I'm so caught up in it. I love Bible study. <laughs> but the point to be made here is that the devotion that we recognize here is fueled by the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are following along in your programs, we recognize that this has to be recognized as a Holy Spirit-induced endeavor. And I'm going to talk about why that is in a little bit. Okay. So in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Okay. So how do we walk this out? Well, we recognize here in this passage that devotion, as is described in the previous verse, devotion will awaken in us a sense of awe. Now, back then, the apostles were, were, were performing miracles like Jesus did. They were healing people. People were being raised from the dead. Uh, no, the lame man was, get, was, was made to walk again. And they were doing all these awesome things. Now, today, we kind of don't see a lot of that. Sometimes on the mission field, we hear about fantastic things that are happening by faith on the mission field. But here today, you know, I think that we're kind of calloused a little bit. You know, this is kind of like the Spielberg generation. We've seen a lot of special effects, right? You know, and as Pastor talked about, about how an experience sometimes cannot be enough. It can leave us wanting. Well, what if we did see the miraculous? What if we did see God's hand poke out of the sky and point to someone? You know, what if we see somebody, you know, at a funeral, he gets up and goes, what y'all all doing here for? You know, maybe we will be stirred by that, but somehow, some way, I think that we just might want more of that. We would look past the God that's doing it, and we would go, hey, you know what, we need to go to UC Family Church, because somebody's going to get up from the dead, y'all. Get your popcorn ready. Just get your popcorn ready. But I think that there's also a way for us to come to a sense of awe without having to see someone resurrected after three days. And here, and I think it can be found in the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, for me, this passage is a picture of a trust-filled, voluntary mindfulness of God. Is that when you come to understand who he is through Bible study, and when you listen to other people's testimonies, you begin to want to trust him for what they trust him for. Isn't that they're all saying that, well, what he did for you, I'm sure he can do for me. And it might not be the same way because he's drawing us as we are. But we recognize though, if he's faithful to you, then yeah, he's going to be faithful to me. And so I recognize that for me, I came to a sense of awe in who God is and his awesome power and awesome wonder just by through Bible study and then people's testimony, and then I was testing them for myself. Well, Lord, can you help me with this? I'm struggling in this area of my life. There's a sin that has dominated me. Can you deliver me from it? Lord, can you cause me to be more loving in the moment? Can you make me be thoughtful? And I started to see things happening and changing for me, and I began to have a deepening sense of awe and wonder about this wonderful God who is my daddy. That's my father. He is my Abba Father, my daddy Lord. Calling him daddy does not reduce his lordship, but for me, it comes to an acknowledgement of his closeness to me. And I'm his son. And if I have his heart and I pray a prayer in faith and obedience, he'll do those things that I ask him to do because they're in line with his will. That had developed in me this great sense of awe and wonder in who he is. But for me, like I said, it was, 
It was a willful mindfulness, a voluntary mindfulness of who he is. Even more so, I started to go to him not just for the big things in life, but just for the little things. You know, after giving our tithe and offering, and we pray and ask God, so what do we do with the rest? That's when you really trust him. Because, you know, with that 90%, though, we go like, yeah, pay the bills, and, you know, give me some shoes. <laughs> you know, we're going to take this trip. <laughs> you know, we're going to do some other things. But I recall that there's times where my wife and I were praying, and through fellowship with other people and our hearts being knit together, we recognized that they had a need. Now, I understand that we give our tithes and offerings to support the ministry, and I understand that the church does help people. But, you know, as I said before, all of these endeavors are Holy Spirit-inspired. And there was times where the Holy Spirit had Rose and I come alongside somebody to cover their rent or to go buy some groceries. Or there was a young lady who, whose husband had left her, and she had this beautiful daughter. I mean, this was before we had children. And Rosa, I mean, she about adopted that girl as her own. And so she gave me this look like, I'm going to go spend some money. And I gave it a look like, I know you're going to go spend some money. And so she did, and she bought very thoughtfully clothes for this little girl. She was entering, I think, kindergarten. But you know, kids grow fast at that age, right? And so the Holy Spirit led her to help her get several outfits that were at different levels and stages. You know, that was the level of thoughtfulness that the Holy Spirit implanted in her. And you know, when I found out, I was like, you had a trunk load of stuff? She's like, well, yeah, but the baby grows. And I'm like, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'll just trust you with that. But it's an example of how that in a spirit-guided and directed way, that he may cause us to intervene and deal with the felt needs of individuals right then and there. And then from there, we can share with them that I have these means because God provided these means. And there's been times where Rose and I, you know, and I had a previous uh, set of ministry responsibilities as a deacon in the church and was praying and we were praying. And then the Lord said, go and help this family. And so there was a knock at the door and the family had been praying for somebody to come along and help them. They had no food. And we showed up with a truckload of groceries. That was the Holy Spirit in that family causing that felt need to be transferred over to my family, and it spurred us on. And we knocked at the door, and it was just there. There was a time when my wife was dealing with cancer, and not once but twice. And I shared a little bit of that testimony in the past. And I had a great job taking care of us, and that job closed, and then I was on half of the salary. And so we were at risk of losing our home, and we just got on our knees and prayed. And the church that we were part of for 15 years and helped to build up and grew up, they had a business meeting. We prayed, and we just said, Lord, we're about to lose our home. We don't know what to do. She's still going through treatment. That's stressful on us. We don't have enough to take care of the mortgage. We got a knock at the door. Our pastor showed up. He said to someone at the business meeting, he said, we need to do something for you all. And they recognized the 15 years of commitment you made to this church. So we're going to take care of your mortgage for six months. We didn't tell the soul. But that's what fellowship does. It knits us together. It helps those needs to be made known. Isn't it wonderful when those things happen? And there are so many people who need this, who need that connection. And I'm not telling you to go blow your whole check on, on other folks. I'm not doing that. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you. But you have to go back and confirm that with him. And I'll get to that this, in this next verse. But we recognize that devotion develops a sense of awe. And I am awestruck every time God touches my heart. And then I go and I walk in his will and something happens. It's not that I'm like surprised that he's done it all over again. I'm just awestruck at the power of it because I don't understand it. But I trust it. And you know what? Something good happens every time. So verse 44 and 45, it says, then all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold property and possessions and give to anyone who had need. 
You know, when we are focused on devotion like that, devotion helps to develop in us a sense of unity and also commonality. Well, we recognize when we are in fellowship with people and we're praying with them and we're reading the word, we recognize what the scriptures tell us. All have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. And we all need Jesus. You know, I think that if we would really understand the gospel and recognize that at the foot of the cross, we're all equal, then, you know, a a lot of these things that we sense and see happening in our community, I think that what we need to do is we need to understand how to share the gospel. Because somebody who has heard and responded to the gospel and has a transformed heart, they won't respond in the ways that we see sometimes in this community. They talk about how divided St. Louis is and the great Del Mar divide. You know what? Rather than, and, and I know that we talk quite a bit about social justice, but I think that if we would just understand the gospel and share the gospel and leave room for the Holy Spirit, that there would be a lot more justice. Because when you are sold out and you are under the direction of the Holy Spirit, you will not behave in an unjust way. And you will speak up, even when it might cost you your job. You will speak up, even when it might not be good for you. And again, I'm not saying do this like, hey, I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm going to tell the boss, hey, you need to change. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, though, is that if you come in that close fellowship with the Lord and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he will put things in your heart to say in a non-judgmental way and say, you know, we can do better. Hey, that person needs a shot. No, we shouldn't behave that way. No, I think we need to kind of reconsider the decision that we've just made here. And we can do better. Now, we may get a little bit coming back our way, but Jesus Christ said that, hey, you know, the student is not better than the master. When Jesus Christ, he came and turned the world upside down. Actually, he was trying to get the world to be right side up because it was upside down. Well, there was resistance to that, and we can expect that. But we can also endure it because we have the same spirit living within us as he had living within them. And it said all believers had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, Pastor Brent, he touched on that, but he went past that because I really believe he didn't want to get the sense that he was saying across the pulpit, go sell things. Now, there are some ministries that will tell you, hey, go sell this and bring it here. Bring it to our feet. You know, go sell this and bring it to us. That's not what this ministry is. And I thank God that this ministry is not that way. I thank God that this ministry teaches from the Bible. I thank God that we have a pastor who's faithful to the scriptures. And I also thank God that Pastor Brent has a heart for everybody. I see him fellowshipping and having lunch with all kinds of folks. And when I get a chance to get my turn in with him, he's telling me about the wonderful people that he has met. And you know what? No two people are alike. They don't have the same testimonies or the same stories. That's inspiring to me. And that's why I can look out over here and I can see a representation of heaven because everybody of all stripes who says yes to Jesus Christ will be there with Jesus. And we're living that. And we see that manifested in what we do. But I also want to help you understand that if the Holy Spirit is propelling you to do something big, go back and test it. And I want to caution you because there are some people who prey on Christians, especially generous ones. And so the Holy Spirit also comes with wisdom. He will let you know what to do and how to do it. There's times, you know, that when I'm meeting people and things, I'll keep a couple of dollars in my wallet. You know, a guy wants to run up to me and ask me, hey, I'll pump your gas for whatever. You know, I'm at the gas station and things. I'll pull it out and I'll share with them, but I'll say, hey, I'll give you the $2, but I want to buy two minutes of your time. And then invariably they're in a shabby condition. They look like they might be homeless. They may have a habit. Who knows? But I say that, look, I want to tell you one thing and then I want to pray for you. I just want to buy two minutes of your time. 
And invariably, I tell these guys that, you know what? God never intended this for you. When he made man, he did not intend this for you. And then after that, I pray a prayer for them. And most times they accept it. Now, I know that sometimes the Holy Spirit is letting me know, hey, you need to do this, but he's going to take that two bucks and he's going to add some more with it. He's going to go get high. And then there's times where he's going to take that four or five dollars and he's actually going to go feed his children. But you know what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do? Give. And he's going to take care of the rest. There's this one guy I knew that he was going to go, you know, go get high. Right. So I was going to give him five dollars. And I looked at him. I said, look here. You know what? You take this five dollars, you get high with it. It's going to be the worst high you ever have. And he looked at you like, yeah, yeah. he took it, he took it, you know, I was like, no, nah, we pray over our money, man. So, you know, you take that, do something wrong with it, but you're going to hate it, you know, you're going to hate it. And he had this look on my face like, dude, I don't know, you know, I really want to. But like I said before, all of these habits and practices, these are Holy Spirit inspired. And you have to trust God and you have to trust him in the moment and he'll confirm it. And if you're doubtful of it and you hesitate, don't worry about it. He's going to give you another shot. You know, we're running low on time, but I, there's so many stories I could tell about how that God has blessed me in the job that I have where I'm flexible and I don't have to be certain places. You know, I'm a nonprofit executive director and we're building up things right now. And so in between meetings, sometimes I have these divine appointments and I get a chance to pray with people. I get a chance to talk to them. And you know what I'm finding? People are hungry for connection. I prayed with a guy and afterwards I hugged him and he said, man, nobody's touched me in five years. It broke my heart. He says, I know I'm filthy and dirty and I can't get away from this habit I got in things. He said, but nobody touched me in five years. I don't even know what that's like. At my house, we hug and sit next to one another and my daughter comes and bumps me with her head in the chest and we're always some affection. When I see my mom, she's like wets up the side of my face, you know, like, mm, mm, boy, how you doing? You know, we have that kind of family and, you know, and, and, and we're huggers and we love people and things. And, and I don't know what that's like to go five hours without somebody touching me in a loving, caring way. And here he went five years. People are literally dying for this type of fellowship. And we're to bring it to him. And so to finish up in verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what they were living out? Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. They were loving on each other in a fierce way, in a public way. And people wanted some of that. And it said that they were adding to their numbers daily people who were being saved. Bible study, fellowship, breaking bread and communion and prayer. Those were catalytic things fueled by the Holy Spirit that caused an explosion of the gospel. And so I want to bring you back to what Pastor Brent had said to us at the end of last week's sermon. He said, I don't know why you City Family Church cannot be the epicenter for a globe sweeping movement that's just like it happened in the early church. I don't know why St. Louis can't be the place that explodes with the gospel, out of which the gospel spreads all around the world and invites people into love and mercy and grace. And breaks down barriers, language barriers, race barriers, cultural barriers, and all the obstacles that we have with each other. Why can't we do that? He didn't leave it there. 
I believe the Holy Spirit inspired our pastor to say, we can do that. We can do that. We have to have that attitude. Yes, that's us. He's talking about not us personalizing. He's talking about me. I can participate in these things. I can invite people into fellowship. You know, I might not be the best Bible study teacher, but I can take a verse and we can walk it out together. I'm going to get me some communion cups. We can take communion and we can make it be about Jesus. We can grab hands and we can pray and we can invite God in to intervene. Or we can just pray and be thanks and, and have a prayer of thanksgiving. And just adoring God in prayer. There's a time when Pastor Brent had invited us and a couple of couples over to his house. And I was talking about this on the phone last week. I said, Pastor Brent, you know what you described? That was happening at your house. We came together. We had great fellowship. We talked about the word of God. And each couple talked about how they met one another and encouraged each other. And then we, we broke bread. We ate the food. We didn't do communion. But then Pastor Brent broke out a guitar and he sang. My daughter got on the piano. And another person's daughter sang as well, too. And we had that kind of fellowship. It doesn't have to be just Pastor Brett. There's over 200 of us. So when we talk about there being an explosion, it's waiting to be ignited. So I, along with Pastor Brett, are inviting you to dig in. And now, folks, let's go walk this out. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we give thanks, Lord, for this time of breaking the bread of life together. Father, let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's a whole world out there that's dying for authentic relationships, authentic fellowship, Father. Help us to move past our fear and give us a confident hope, Lord, that when we engage in these things, you will meet us right there, Father. And Lord, you said that if we would do these things, Lord, you would be there and you would do what we ask. And so, Father, I just give thanks for the testimony that's to go forward. And we just ask, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that our numbers grow daily. Just like the word says, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.